The Incomparable t-shirts are back on sale through November 17th. There's the new Incomparable logo, a robot or not shirt, the random Trek spaceship, and the total party kill dragon. Get them now at theincomparable.com slash shirt. The Incomparable, number 485, November 2019. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about a film. This is almost like a little mini-series of uh, maybe not entirely appropriately appreciated science fiction films of this century. Uh, What I'm saying is that uh, this is a movie that we like and uh, you may have not seen. And it's Live, Die, Repeat, Edge! Of tomorrow, I don't know what the title is. It's all those things. It's all you need is kill. It's uh, many things. It's Tom Cruise, and he keeps dying, and it's from 2014. And uh, we're going to talk about it, uh, just like we talked about Source Code, which was another one of these kind of not appreciated entirely as much as it should be movies. Joining me to talk about Edge of Tomorrow are these uh, two proud members of J Squad, Erica Ensign. Fall in. Hello. I am currently entertaining the notion that our fate is in hands, not our own. And John Syracuse. On your feet, maggot. (laughs) (laughs) That's a different tone than I got you, babe. (laughs) The the sentiment is similar, right? It really, it it actually gives me exactly the same feeling. Mm -hmm. Like it's just the same. So this is a, a Groundhog Day movie. This is a time loop movie. This is a you keep repeating the same events over and over again and learn as you go kind of movie. It's sort of the answer to the question that nobody asked, which is, what if uh, what if Groundhog Day was a violent military science fiction film? <laughs> but more importantly, somebody asked. Th- this movie, like Groundhog Day, is not interested at all in why we're looping in time whereas this movie is very interesting it's true in fact it is mm-hmm. integral to the plot which is part of why this is a sci-fi movie because sci-fi movies do actually care about you know what's the deal with the aliens or why is there a time loop or you know whatever the case may be whether it's interstellar or just your straight up sci-fi so uh yeah this is it is a time loop movie but it is 100 percent sci-fi movie and a pretty good one i think Iterative movies are are my jam. Like, I love them. And <laughs> I was really excited when I discovered that that's what this was because I didn't know mm. going in with the first time I saw it. So, yeah, c- because I love Groundhog Day. Obviously, I love Source Code. We've already talked about that one. And uh, the fact that this one is, like John said, full on science fiction. I also love science fiction. So this is like a, a meeting of two things I love. Taste great together. Oh, and speaking of not knowing that this is going to be that type of movie... That's one of the many, many reasons why I feel like Edge of Tomorrow, while it is a generic title, is so much better than the secondarily applied Live, Die, here, Repeat, because here. it gives yeah. away the whole movie. And Edge of Tomorrow makes sense once you know what the premise is, because you're sure. constantly on the edge of the tomorrow, whatever. It's not mm-hmm. a great title, but fine. But Live, Die, Repeat, like, when I saw that, I thought it was a parody. I thought someone's like, they should have named this movie Live, Die, Repeat, so people knew what it was about. But no, like, the studio or somebody decided... They wanted to rename this movie, and they did a bad, terrible thing, and they should feel bad forever. They should. This movie was here, here. horrendously mismarketed and uh, didn't do as well as it should have. And it, it's kind of funny because I think now that it's been out on home video for you know five years, it is generally pretty well thought of. This is not you know this is not a failure that we think is un. I, I think more likely it's to say you didn't see this than to say you didn't like this and you should like people Mm -hmm. missed it. And um, John, to your point about 
explaining what's going on here. Um, my understanding is that Groundhog Day had a scene that explained why it was happening. And in the infinite wisdom of Harold Ramis, the director, uh, they cut it. <laughs> and yeah, I think that's not what that movie's about. Exactly. It's totally uh-uh. about internally. Whereas this movie, it, the plot of the movie is we've got to use this time loop to figure out why it's happening and how we can use it to defeat an adversary. And yeah. it's not just it, this movie would be. I'm not going to say worse, but very different if the whole story was like Tom Cruise learning to be a good person. That kind of sort of happens in this movie, but that is not the A plot. And it's not even learning to be a good person. It's learning to be a different person, really. I mean, and and better. I mean, let's be honest. Like I was going to say that very often Tom Cruise plays Tom Cruise in his movies, and but there are multiple Tom Cruises. There is the sort of good noble hero one, the movie star Tom Cruise, whether that's, you know, Mission Impossible or Top Gun or whatever. Top Gun, the guy's a little smarmy, but, you know, in general, they have a good heart, right? And then there's the slimy Tom Cruise, which we see in Magnolia. And this movie starts off with a little bit of the Magnolia Tom Cruise and smoothly transitions into the more noble and, to Erica's point, very different Tom Cruise by the end of it. Smoothly by a series of horrendous deaths. you gotta gotta do what you gotta do i would say another big difference between this movie and groundhog day is it takes a different approach to the the way we see iterations and and part of that is that groundhog day very rarely um shows kind of cut off days there are moments where bill murray does something and uh dies immediately and we see those but um, we generally are, uh, for most of the runtime, sort of toward the end, it changes a little bit, kind of on the journey with Bill Murray. And one of the narrative choices they make in Edge of Tomorrow that I think is very clever is that we're not on the journey with Tom Cruise in, in at several points. Um, he, we, he has leaped ahead, but the movie narrative hasn't yet leaped ahead. And I think that's an interesting uh, decision that, that it makes. Oh, by the way, the uh what happened was that bill murray um wronged a girlfriend and she had like some mystical person put a curse <laughs> on him yeah well there you go that may, now it's all explained and Thanks. harold ramus is like nah nah don't, we don't we don't need to know it's, it's not like, the point but, oh you, now you said that it's a curse now it makes oh, sense before it seemed preposterous but once you said that it was it's a curse, a magic now curse. I understand. <laughs> right. story checks out edge of tomorrow is set in a world uh, you know uh, w- without recapping the entire plot it's set in a world where uh there's been an alien invasion these like uh a meteor or something lands in europe and um these alien monsters come out of of it and they are taking over uh and spreading and they're called the mimics that's our our name for them and they come in kind of different kinds and it's been hopeless to fight them but in one battle in verdun they uh they did uh defeat them and so it's given them hope that they can do this so so the uh allied forces of humanity are gearing up for a d-day style invasion and it's very clearly a d-day style invasion mm-hmm. it's literally there in france they're gonna the 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 allies or at least the the u.s the uk are our joined forces are in in london they're gonna fly over they're gonna land on the beaches of france and do a do a scene that we see many times in this movie that is very much like what if we did the opening of saving private ryan with aliens so it's definitely that is part of what's going on here and then in that scenario we find tom cruise who is a who is like a a marketing guy in the army he's the guy who invented the captain america costume he's essentially that guy basically (laughs) he's like a propaganda and marketing guy who because he's a jerk uh he you know he doesn't want to die on the front lines and he angers a general who uh basically 
maneuvers so that he's going to be forced to be in a mech suit on the front lines and die because you you pissed off the wrong general i guess tom cruise and that is how you know that's how edge of tomorrow begins that's that's what it is i love saving private ryan and i actually really like it is a riff on saving private ryan but that first iteration when you're when they're landing or dying before they even get a chance to land on the beach and they're going up the beach and the the chaos of it and the all the fire and the aliens and the you know people getting smashed by spaceships and planes and stuff like that like whatever it is that i I think it's great i think it's a really great way to get you into this movie and it's one of the things that struck me about this movie is that this is this is the rare action movie that is legitimately action for most of its runtime and yet it feels appropriate because the action is informing the story and not just we're learning things while the action goes on it's not just resolving plot the action is actually like that opening fight scene isn't just there to make noise and get us into the movie it like it's it's exposition the opening fight mm-hmm. scene is actually the exposition of the movie yeah I, I i notoriously hate war movies and i really don't like saving private ryan at all mm. and i did find myself at the beginning going oh yeah like, because I had I had seen this in the theater. I really enjoyed it. Hadn't seen it since then. Sat down to watch it tonight and was like, oh, yeah, this is a war movie, but I like it. So it just kind of showed me how how fickle I am a little bit in terms of I guess it's it's not the uh, it's not the action sequences of war movies that I don't like, because when I am seeing it, as you said, Jason, in the context of we are learning very important plot information as it is happening and seeing it happen possibly multiple times, uh, it doesn't bother me at all. It, it actually seems really cool. So, yeah. I learned something about myself. You know, the action scene is very much like Saving Private Ryan, but the tone is very different because, uh, especially given the intro to this movie where Tom Cruise is like cowardly and it's like, <laughs> it's it's not played for laughs 100%, but there is a humor aspect to it. And mm-hmm. his whole sequence of on your feet maggot and being, you know, conscripted into the to a fighting force that he's not qualified for, it is humorous the entire time because the the whole thing it's like a fish out of water tom cruise is not a soldier he's not prepared to be a soldier he's in unfriendly circumstances and so even as his friends are all blowing up in the dropship and everything like that you are not like in the saving private ryan mindset you're still in the oh my goodness tom cruise he's a fish out of water he's in a situation he can't handle and everyone's dying and it is grim but it's also kind of funny because he's hapless and cowardly and that's how it's at least on the first way through that's how it's played and i think the reason this battle scene's work so well is a good lesson for a lot of other action movies is action scenes work well and people always say this but it's like yeah but how do you do it? when you care about what's going on and to, you care about what's going on in here in the beginning because it's like fun and comedy and boy how is tom cruise gonna get out of this one because he's <laughs> not a good soldier and look how silly he's being but in every subsequent iteration once you get the trick you are engaged because you're like this is a problem for our hero to solve. Yeah, it's not. It's not just fo- uh, you know two opposing forces that like like in a risk game, right? You know, you could see all the little armies battle each other, or you could just say, okay, well, I take this because I rolled the dice and now I get that territory, right? In a lot of movies, it feels like all you're doing is really expanding that one move on the risk board. Like you could just say, all right, skip to the end. Person A beats person B, and we can move on. I don't need to see the blow by blow, but here you need to see the blow by blow because what you care about is. How do you solve the puzzle box that is this particular battle? And that's why, and in fact, even though we've seen basically the same action scene many, many times, mm-hmm. it doesn't get boring because every time you're like, I want to see if he's going to be able to do the thing in this 
scene and you're not just waiting to say okay can we just skip to the end where he defeats this foe so i can see what the next scene is Mm -hmm. although i did i was kind of surprised at uh at first of all how long it took to get to the first yes iteration which i appreciated because we i really felt like i was grounded in that sense of place and that character and and everything that was happening around him but then i was actually surprised at how much they shortened even just Mm -hmm. the first repeat it was very very condensed and so we didn't actually have to sit through that entire action sequence the whole time again which i appreciated because it really zeroed in on the pieces that had changed and the pieces that were were different um and you know the pieces that were the same were usually only the ones that were for comic effect yeah and and like jason said unlike groundhog day where you're tracking with him through the entire thing they they intentionally make the audience not see many things that happen because there are many dramatic Mm -hmm. turns later that you need the audience not to know right but even just in this thing like the first run through is so long and so luxurious which i love about this movie because if you saw it like i did with knowing nothing about the premise you you feel like you're well into the movie before he wakes up again and on your feet maggot and you're like what and then you're like oh it's one of those and you don't (laughs) because it plays straightforward as a perfectly good you know I mean, like middle of the road. Oh, Tom Cruise action movie and yeah, sci-fi alien invasion setup. He's playing against type and blah, blah blah. And then when he dies, you're like, well, okay, this is a Tom Cruise movie, so that's not going to happen. So how are they going to deal with this? And then you get the loop. But and the subsequent ones are so shortened because they spent so long on that first thing. And especially if you're watching the first sequence without an idea that it's going to repeat, you absorb all that. You see all the people. You're like, I'm going to be seeing mm-hmm. these characters again, and you know, this is his crew, and these are the, you know, he got and there's big name actors in it and everything. So you really take it all in, and on the subsequent ones, you don't need to review that. Like, you've, you've totally absorbed it, and they, they shorten it way up. And then the best thing is, eventually they start not showing you the beach scene anymore, because that's not the part that they're important. They do mm-hmm. repeats past the beach, you right. know, or brief repeat. Sometimes he doesn't, you know, doesn't even go to the beach. You know, they, it's, mm-hmm. it's very well done. Like, I, I saw this movie originally not knowing the premise. And uh, like Erica, my recollection of it was that the iterations were more evenly sized. And upon watching mm-hmm. the second and third time, I said, no, that, that's like a, that's a movie making magic trick. In my memory, they're all equal. But hmm. in actual screen time, they, they burn a lot of their time and budget on the first run through. And they really tighten it up because they have a lot of stuff to do. Like that whole third act in, in Paris is, you know, it, they need to fit that into the movie somehow. So you really have to compress mm-hmm. the mill section with the repeats. Yeah, it's much more wide ranging. I mean, Groundhog Day, to be fair, there is a bunch of Groundhog Day that we don't actually see because he goes through it so many, so much, so many more times than, than we watch. how to play the piano but, and yeah. exactly and toss cards into a hat and stuff like that. But but his entire world is is just this one tiny little town. And it's it's shown in that movie that he can't get out of it. Whereas here, just like John just said, like this is so far ranging. It's not even, you know, just in the plane and on the base, but you know, it's London, it's Paris and and all of those places. So yeah, you have to really have a real sort of economy of uh, of use of what you're going to choose to show and when you're going to show it. And I think it's very skillfully done. Yeah, and it very carefully expands uh, the location and uh, and fast forwards through the beach only later in the movie. As the plot develops, this is also an interesting case where if you view this, okay, so this is a video game, right? And in a video (laughs) game, (laughs) when you die and and you go back to a safe point or you have to go back to the beginning or whatever it is, you repeat. And if you you have the chance to save or you have the chance to perfect for a a speed run or something like that, um, in the end, I always thought about this in a game that had save points, is that in the end, essentially what I've done is move through this story one time perfectly, 
but you know, from, from the narrative perspective, but in reality, I've died many, many, many times and then just reloaded from a save point. And if we view this movie that way, which is that Tom Cruise has to get it all right, but he can't, he, you can't even get it right in one go because you have to add, uh, add skills. You have to gather information, you learn things and you, you build up and eventually you can do an iteration where you solve the problem and you get out of it or, or more or less. Um, and the movie works that way, where eventually we get to the point where we don't need to see the beach anymore because he's figured out the beach part and we move on to the next part. So even even though he is still living that same day over and over again, as a movie, we've moved on to the second act and we don't see first act stuff anymore because we can we can move on. And And it does it in some very clever ways. My favorite thing about the way it handles these loops is the scene where they're in the um what is the barn that's got the the helicopter yep Yep. and sugars right and and he knows Mm -hmm. her what she wants in her coffee and it's revealed that he has uh and and by she i mean emily blunt who uh who plays rita um and and uh he she is not looping she looped before but she now she's not um and she realizes that they have been in this part of the day many times before. He knows her tea order and he's behaving weirdly. And we find out that he's tried. He's at a point which we've all been at in a video game, I think, too, where it's like, well, I think I've tried everything. And one of us dies here. Always one of us dies here. And it's super effective because it's, and that's not the only time. But there's several points through the movie where rather than showing Tom Cruise react and learn a new part of the story we see him after he's already done it go through it one last time on the way to a decision point and i think it's i think it's so carefully and cleverly done to to do it that way because it's i think a lot less monotonous uh, to do it that way and also you end up with those little twists where Tom Cruise knows more than we think he does because he mm-hmm. he actually has this down. He's already capable, like Bill Murray, with uh you know timing out everything that happens in the town, or mm-hmm. like Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt on the beach where they're literally, or or in the um in the office in London later in the movie where they're mm-hmm. literally stepping exactly where they need to be forward, backward, turning everything to get where they need to go, um, and we don't need to see them learn that. Yeah, and the good thing is they don't. They don't do it like the sixth sense or like any you know, th- like those revelations are not used as they make the audience go, oh, wow. Like especially those ones that you were talking about, like uh, in the barn or when they're on the road and, and he's talking to her and say, you know, you eventually talk to me and everything. They're used as character moments, which is so much better than just saying, ah, yep. audience, we tricked you by not showing <laughs> you a thing intentionally. And now you're surprised to learn a thing. Yes, that's true. We are surprised to learn a thing. But the best ones of those and the ones that I feel like resonate most, are, they're used as character moments to build the relationship between these two characters, which this movie spends a surprise for a movie that has like battle mechs and things exploding and, you know, a D-Day invasion <laughs> spends a lot of time having quiet conversations with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt or just the three of them, like the scientist guy and them talking in a room together. And I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, the, the other thing that I like that it does so skillfully is that, you know, this movie is for the most part told from Tom Cruise's character's perspective. 
perspective, like you see it from his perspective. So, you know, the first time it iterates, he wakes up and you're like, what? Just like he's like, what? But every once in a while, you have that flip where, like the scene in the barn, Mm. you are seeing it sort of more from uh, from Rita's perspective because it's your first time through. It's her first time through in quotes because she doesn't remember having gone through before. And we don't recognize until she recognizes kind of at the same time that, oh, this isn't the first time through. So you you get to spend a little bit of time kind of in the heads of each of the characters, which I think is really important because uh, because that. I feel like Emily Blunt, as much as I love her and her character in this movie, I I don't feel like I like I wanted more. <laughs> I feel like I, it, there's not a good way to get more Emily Blunt into this movie. I think they did as as well as they could with the uh, with the plot mechanics that they had set up. But I like the fact that we at least get get every once in a while a little bit of a feeling like we're on on her side of the page instead of his side of the page in terms of what we know and what we feel. And we don't we, we don't get the to uh, see her develop, right? That's part of the premise. Yep. So mm-hmm. instead, what mm-hmm. we get to see is some different facets of how she reacts to things. But it is something that they have to struggle with. And I think that there are moments where they're, where the screenplay is really trying hard to like not have us remember that they just met. Because th- there are moments late in this movie where there seems to be a loyalty and connection between them that could not be there after one day or a few hours. But we all... You know, we all want it to be there. And so the movie plays it. I think it cheats a little bit, but there's only so much you can do because she's supposed to be, you know, fresh and every time and doesn't know Tom Cruise until he introduces (laughs) himself in that first scene. But by the time they have those moments, they have actually been together for, you know, more than 24 hours. Like, because there is a a time span, you know, the the end game is like the things come in London. I I get the impression that's actually like days later or at least one or two days later. So by later. Yeah. By their time there in Paris, they will have spent some substantial amount of time together and, mm-hmm. you know, done a bunch of things. And she, there is an understanding, you know, between them because she experienced the same thing. But like, but that's, that's why a lot of it has to be, a lot of the relationship building has to be from Tom Cruise's perspective. A lot of these yep. time loop and time travel movies have to do this where the relationship is tragic and doomed because one person knows the other person intimately, like, you know, like they've lived a whole life together and the other person just met them once, but they just keep meeting over and over again. And that, that's why I love the, the scene where they're driving out in the car and he's, he's trying, she's not saying anything cause she's very stoic or whatever. And he's, he's like, you know, you eventually do talk to me. You tell me your middle name and he feeds her a bunch of lines of BS, which, you know, about what her middle name is, that it's not actually her middle name. Like, and you don't like at that point, you don't know, is he telling the truth about past iterations or has he learned in past iterations that the best way to get her to talk is to make up a <laughs> bunch of lies about the fact that she talks to him later, even though she wouldn't talk to him later if he didn't make up his lies about the fact that she had talked to him later. And it's a good sort of, again, a quiet character moment that is also a time loop kind of, you know, mind bending thing. And it makes you makes you second guess. It makes you think, I feel for Tom Cruise, who has spent who knows how many weeks or months or years mm-hmm. with Emily Blunt and she's with them for 24 hours and it's like this strange sort of uh, asymmetrical relationship but also everything he does is suspect because he's had, you know, Bill Murray style the chance to rehearse all of these things to get what, you know, to get either the reaction he wants or to learn more than the last time. You don't even know because we don't see those iterations either. It's It's pretty fascinating. And the other thing, too, in in terms of their connection is that, yes, they have spent by the end uh, a a decent amount of very, very high stress time together. But also, not only has she experienced the same thing that he's experiencing, she also, we think, 
experienced falling in love with somebody in that way and having mm-hmm. to watch him die 300 times right. uh, and she just doesn't even want to talk about it. So I think, you know, by by the end of that span of time that she does remember spending with him, she has probably kind of like thought about her own position in, in having experienced that from the other side and therefore recognized how deeply he probably feels about her because she's she knows she's been there. Right. There's a, there's some shorthand in that relationship. That is one of the, I think, uh, things I didn't expect when I first saw this movie that that I think is very smart is we we are very early in the movie introduced to the concept that there is this hero. She is the what the angel of Verdun. She she single handedly defeated them the first time the aliens have ever been defeated. She's a super heroic person and um, she's kind of off you know, uh, training by herself and all of that and is grumpy and whatever. And what we discover is that, um, and she says to Tom Cruise, what on the beach, like you need to find me when you die the next time, go back and find me, uh, at the beginning. And he's stunned by this. And this is this very clever twist, which is not that she is also repeating, which is one way you can do it. I've seen that done in time loop fiction before. It, that's a, it's a great moment in the book um, Replay, which is one of my favorite books of all time. Um, but that's not what happens here. What happens here is that she previously had the power and lost it. And so she understands him, but she can't help him. And he learns the shorthand to get, because this is all about him learning the shorthand. He learns the shorthand to get very quickly from that to her scientist buddy who built a thing that's supposed to work to stop the aliens and get us and unlock the next thread in the plot. But it is, I, I really like the fact that she's been through it. She's a, she's a veteran of a time loop, but can't loop this time. So all she can do is provide her experience uh, over and over again in Tom Cruise's development. Like, I, I really like that that's the, the way that this story goes. It's, it's, uh, it's very clever. I had misremembered that, actually. I was very, very surprised when when we got to that point in the, in the movie this time. And she said, you know, I used to have it. I can't do it anymore. And in my head, I just I had totally forgotten that aspect of the movie. And it made it really exciting to rewatch it because I was like, oh, wait, then how does this work? So it's fun to see it again. Okay, well, we will get back to Edge of Tomorrow in a minute. But first, let me take a break. I'll tell you about our first sponsor. This episode of The Incomparable brought to you in part by ExpressVPN. If you ever wondered which of your online searches the government has a right to know about, the answer is none, none. But when you browse the web without anything to protect your privacy, bad people, good people, whoever, people are looking at what you do. Governments, various kinds, hackers, uh, your ISP, advertisers, Everybody wants to collect data from the internet, and it does happen to people like us. It's not just high-value targets. It's everybody. Everybody is a high-value target, and that's why you should check out a VPN like ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN encrypts and reroutes your web traffic to any number of countries, keeping you safe and secure, and moving your internet traffic goes through a secure tunnel to another place and comes out there, makes it harder for you to be seen and identified. Just download the ExpressVPN app, you click to connect, and boom, that's it. You're protected. Could not be easier. I use this on my iPad. One tap to launch the app, one tap, and I'm completely protected no matter where I am. If I'm on a leaky unpassworded Wi-Fi at a cafe, no matter whose ISP I'm using, am I in a hotel somewhere? What are they, you know, using as a provider? I don't want to know. I don't I don't care. I want to tap and be protected. 
And because ExpressVPN can make it seem like you're browsing from a different country, that means you can change up. Let's say you want to watch your Netflix from the U.S. and you're not in the U.S., you could do that. Pretty cool. Costs less than $7 a month and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Like I said, I have used it. It could not be easier. You should use it, too. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free by going to expressvpn.com slash Snell, my last name. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash S-N-E-L-L. I spelled my name for you. Three months free with a one-year package, expressvpn.com slash Snell. Thank you to ExpressVPN for supporting the incomparable. Yeah, you mentioned uh, video games before, and like that, you know, it's the obvious analogy and part of the reason this movie resonates uh, so well with the the generation that uh, that you know in the time that it was produced because people are familiar with video games. This has a lot of resonance that, but it actually sells the movie short a little bit just to say it's like a video game because if an actual video game had been made with the plot and mechanics of this movie, it would be incredibly innovative because again, it's not just that there's a loop and save points and stuff the plot of the video game essentially to defeat the enemy in the video game requires you to sort of be cognizant of the fact that you are in a game and the save point mechanism is not outside of the game but is actually within the game and is a tool used by the enemy and it is a tool that you have and i'm sure there have been games like that they're very often eternal darkness is one example of just like sort of fourth wall breaking in video games where uh, not quite the same thing but anyway where things that are usually considered okay well you're playing a game like like jason was saying like that like if you were to look at the perfect run of the game, you're supposed to conceptualize, oh, I went from beginning to end, and all that part about you dying, that's outside the game. That's that's the system that the game is within, right? That's like the board of the board game or the little pieces, but that's not part of the game game. Whereas in this movie, the save points and the looping is part of the internal game mechanics of the actual thing, because it's a power that the enemy had and it's a power that the player has. And that's... That's amazing for a movie, and I think if they did that straight in a video game, people would be going nuts over it. If it was a, if it was as well executed as this movie was, like if the video game had you know was competently made and everything and had that exact mechanic, it would get rave reviews and be lauded. And this movie, because I guess it's the lower degree of difficulty for a movie to to be like that because you don't get to play it and it's you know it's easier to uh, make sure things go the way you want. It, it gets you know we said at the beginning it's it, it is underappreciated like this this is a movie when i was i showed it to my son and i was surprised that i liked it more than when i originally did and i liked it when i originally saw it and every time i watch it my appreciation for it grows and i like yeah. normally you watch movies and I, I see more and more things that are that are not good in them and in this one yeah there are things that are not good but i they bother me less and less every time i watch it the good <laughs> things grow bigger and the bad things are like yeah like and it, it, honestly there's not really that much bad stuff it's just like things that could have been done a little bit better here and there or whatever but i you know i i think every time i watch this movie like i'm tempted to raise its rating on my letterboxd account uh, <laughs> you know you talk about uh, a, about a video game made like this honestly if there was a video game like that i don't think i could play it because it would be too exhausting having to go through the entire because in the movie you can clip out all the, the the boring part of the iteration i mean i just started playing a, a new to me a very old but new to me video game over the weekend and there was this one part where uh, you know he i had to drive a thing and kill a thing and i sucked at it and i had to just do it over and over again and that frustrated feeling um was very similar to what i got when i thought about 
Tom Cruise's right. character and how many times he had had to do this and how I would probably have have literally gone insane and just, just lost it after having, having to do that so many times. So so that would not be a game for me. And I'm very glad that that the movie didn't uh, <laughs> didn't even stretch it out any longer. Well, well that, that's why games have save points. This this movie has no save points. It has right. one save point at the very beginning. No game is made like that today because it is so True. frustrating. So you'd have to assume that the game that's made like this would continue to have checkpoints, right? And hopefully they're nicely spaced out checkpoints. But what the, the part I'm referring to is that you would repeat sections when you died. You repeat from the last checkpoint. They wouldn't make you replay from the beginning of the game. But then also, if part of the mechanic was this i mean if you think of like sands of time prince of persia sands of time or other games with rewind mechanics have done something slightly similar in that the power to redo things is part of the plot but i don't think there's been one where it's also the power where a it is the main power of the enemy and b you got the power from the enemy and they're using it against you like that is a lot of the later plot twists in the movie understanding that yes tom cruise has this power and yes the angel verdun had this power but the aliens know that they have this power and half of the things they think they see that's going to solve their problem is actually a trap and it's they're they're symbiotically linked in some sense but also the aliens are better at using this power than they are until they finally figure it out one thought i had because you know you're, you're right he has been with her in that barn asking her how many sugars dozens of times pro- probably mm-hmm. he learned to fly a helicopter so learn to play piano yeah. how many times he had to crash the helicopter but for for him, it always starts with on your feet, maggot. And I, I was thinking to myself, like... That's exhausting. It, it's not just exhausting, although it, it is overnight. So theoretically, you could, like, you've got a little bit of downtime. His his loop isn't quite so cruel that he, he doesn't have downtime if he needs it. In fact, I like that there's that one scene where he basically takes the loop off, goes to London, mm-hmm. goes to a bar, <laughs> yep. and then watches as London is destroyed <laughs> by the aliens. But he's and like... He gets, hassled, he gets hassled by old people in the bar. So, yeah. look, I'm on vacation. I'm on vacation from this war. Yeah. I was there. I'll be there again. But right now I'm here. But um, I I do wonder how you go through something like that without starting to think that all the people around you are basically like like robots or ghosts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like Paper because dolls. to succeed, uh, the, you know, the J squad has got to be I mean, they, they they get to do something different at the end of the movie. But like, he has to just turn them into puppets, right? Because he knows and, and he knows exactly what to move and what to say and the most efficient this and the most efficient that to get them on their side. And he has to do it every time. And presumably, he has optimized that, but he has to step through it every single time. And that's, it's got to just be um, not only numbing, but all of those people have to just he has to it has to dehumanize them to a certain degree, I would think. And the movie doesn't really get into that. Well, they do show it once. Like they show it for when when he comes back and the and the big naked guy. Like when he is in the in the in the depths of despair about that business, he lets the ship fall on the big naked guy because he, he is starting to think of them about like you're mm-hmm. just pieces on a chessboard and none of this matters and i don't even know why i was trying to save because they show him trying to save the yeah. naked guy several times and mm-hmm. you know he does save him but then eventually in one of the iterations i feel like this is this is the one iteration you get in this very sort of economical movie that's not taking us through this to show you that he's feeling exactly what you said it's like what's what's the point like these are all like are they even real people just let the ship fall on the guy i've got another job to do and you know and he's tom cruise and he's our hero and we imbue in him all of these that he is he's valiant and good-hearted and you know like all the things his tom cruisiness comes through to let you know that somehow heroically he can endure what would otherwise be an impossibility for any human 
I read that scene a little bit differently because I think if I'm remembering the order right, I think that was right after sort of the turning point where she tells him her middle name is Rose and she dies and he goes to see her and then just turns around and walks away. Um, and it, the way that I read that was that he has made the choice to try to to do it all without her or you know get close to the point where he can do it all without her and then possibly, and this is sort of headcanon, bring her back in so that they can complete it together. Um, but he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to have her as, as part of it. Um, so I don't know. It, my, I mean, that, that's what I'm, he concentrates on her. Like he doesn't, he cares less about the other people because he's like, I, I've tried to do this so many ways to, to keep you alive and we keep dying together. So I'm just going to leave you here where you're safe and I'm going to go off. And at that point he's on a mission and his mission is, it's Save just to Rita. reiterate again and again until he figures out like what's the end game and h- how to get there. Yeah, but during that thing, like I mean, it's, it's like what Jason said. Do you care on any particular iteration if you save the naked guy? No, because you know this is just yet another practice run, and you're going to do 500 more of these. And so it's like get down to the job that's being done. Don't they're not even real people anymore. They're just pieces on a chessboard. Yeah, they're going to die over and over and over again. Don't like don't make that part of your route. Don't make saving him part of your mm-hmm. route because it's not even that important, especially on these runs, and especially if you're trying to like figure out how to do it without Rita or whatever. Mm-hmm. He definitely spent more time with the the J squad than I expected because the amount of information that he knew about them at the end when he was done iterating and couldn't cheat anymore. Like he had already massed an awful lot of of personal info about all of those people. It's the the Groundhog Day question again. Exactly how long did he spend doing this? How many Mm -hmm. iterations did he just go to London or just spend the whole time sitting in, in somebody's bunk and talking to somebody for hours? Obviously, he had way more iterations than we saw. On this movie because he did have yep. enough time to do what were surely iterations that were not focused on accomplishing anything other than just like i'm gonna hang out i'm gonna learn about this guy's story like even just maybe he did that just to try to find his way to most efficiently traverse through that section of the story we don't know yeah and he uh he had that night right to spend there and so presumably in different iterations he's getting to know those people and he's varying it because he doesn't want to have the same conversation over and over again so he's <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna do that and yes he's gonna be like bill murray he's gonna know every single person in town and their entire backstory because it's one way maybe to maybe to keep sane from all of this yeah and it seems like like going back to the video game thing it would take a lot of tries to get through that level like it mm-hmm. looks like a really difficult level there's a lot of stuff going on in that battlefield it takes a lot of skill that he initially doesn't have so he's got a lot of training to do he's got a lot of dying to do and every time he it, you know unlike a good video game he doesn't have the checkpoint he's got to go through the j squad through the night get in the plane fly over and live for like 25 more seconds because you know until he figures out what that alien is like an actual show that's why i think like it's unrealistic that a human could endure this type of repetition and everything but the movie doesn't doesn't show it to us and it says you'll believe it because it's tom cruise and we won't burden you with it because that would be bad movie making i like to believe (laughs) that he does those vacations every now and then right just like bill murray does in groundhog day where it's like yeah i'm just gonna take this one off yeah yep or or though i like that they they spend some time on again comic relief iterations like him trying to roll under the truck sort of clever clever (laughs) tom cruise action hero stuff only the realistic angle which is like if you tried to do that in real life and you hadn't practiced it of course you're gonna die like in the movies Mm -hmm. people do improbable spur of the moment things and they always live because they're the movie stars and this is one type of movie you get to see were you to have a notion that you're a movie star and are going to do something that you've literally never tried before in your life because it would look cool and dramatic just get run Uh -uh. over by the truck that's what'll happen 
And all the times that Emily Blunt shoots him in the head, yeah. like that becomes quite hilarious. Yeah. But in his, in his training sequences, and it's like, if he's, <laughs> if he's lame like a horse, he's got to be put down because like, why, why are we even wasting time? And he spends a lot of time getting beat up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, and that is, there. I have two structural problems with this movie and that it's... It, it, that that brings me to one of them and and that's but that's more in the uh in the the third act so i i won't bring it up until we get there well i want to mention the aliens uh and talk about them the 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 mimics they have a a, a distinctive look they obviously have these powers that he the, the way that tom cruise gets these powers is that there's the what like the he gets the blue mimic blood goo from the what are they the alphas on him and it gets and and it gets in his system and this is the thing it, it it's a nice reveal that this is not a a cosmic quirk that's happening like mm-hmm. you know he angered a girlfriend and she put a curse on him <laughs> uh, but actually it's it's in the plot that this is why they're so good is because they get to iterate and do the right, learn the right thing to do, and therefore they're unbeatable, except for the fact that if you're a human and you get this blue uh, alpha blood goo in you, then you can be the uh, time looper instead. So that's the uh, that's the power that they've got. And then the other, um, beyond their look, the other interesting thing that happens that's a, a nice uh, little quirk is just when you think that, and, and it's it's timed properly, you think that you've got the iteration thing down and on your feet maggot is coming next and he's been warned, I believe, that he's going to have visions and he hasn't had them yet. And then there's that one where he dies and he doesn't go to on your feet maggot. And it's like, well, what are we seeing now? And it's, oh, it's he's having a vision that's being sent. He's tapping in or whatever, hacking into the the mimics collective consciousness. And they are uh, telling and they him can see him, too. Yeah, and, like, yeah, that's exactly. The thing. Yeah, and they're and they're telling him where the omega is, and they're getting closer to know where he is. And we we assume because the the vision scientist guy tells us like, oh, once you start having the visions, that's them figuring out where you are because they want to get to you and they want to you know take away the power because the aliens understand how this deal works. What we don't know at that point is it's yeah. You know, not only are they figuring out where you are, but they're feeding you lies yeah like they're, they're in they're in enough control that like you think you're seeing a vision and it's like well you're gonna slowly lose the power but right before you lose it you'll see where they are and we can get it we can go to the dam and it's a great you know sort of end end of second act uh disappointing twist where you they, they finally did do the thing that they thought they were doing and you realize the the enemy is playing the same game as you and you just got played and they, and they understand other mechanics the aliens like we're gonna let you bleed out like at various times it's clear that they're not just these silly mindless things they're using the tools at their disposal. They understand that it's apparently an occupational hazard that sometimes you get your blue goo into one of the guys and they start time looping on you. But we can deal with that. It happens on every planet, even though the scientist is like, maybe humans are the only weakness. Typical <laughs> egotistical humans. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Typical. Anyway, you don't know. These aliens uh, could be everywhere and humans are not unique. It's just something that you have to deal with. They just weren't prepared for Tom Cruise. He's just really, really good at it. He's very persistent. All right, let me take one more break and tell you about Flatiron School, our second sponsor. It's fall, fall is in the air. Back to school time, my daughter just went back to college, went to college. But kids aren't the only ones going back to school. Students can be parents, musicians, travelers, and working professionals from all walks of life at Flatiron School. You can learn software engineering, UX and UI design, or even data science at Flatiron School in just 15 weeks and launch a new career with one-on-one support from their dedicated career coaches. Flatiron School stands behind their students with a money-back guarantee. Complete details are at flatironschool.com terms. 
Flatiron School's committed instructors have both industry and teaching experience and are backed by the master teachers and learning experience designers to ensure you get the best possible support. And that's whether you choose to learn on their campus or online. This fall, pursue your passion and discover your potential and go back to school with Flatiron School. Get a head start with a free boot camp prep course at flatironschool.com slash incomparable see you in class thank you to Flatiron school for supporting the incomparable do you like the looks of these aliens they're uh yeah they're they're yeah, strange an alien i think i don't know what the budget was for this movie but when i originally saw it i thought this is an incredibly good use of money because like the i don't think this movie had a huge budget and the aliens are not we don't dwell on them a lot uh, and it's not the one way is you shoot everything at night, right? And so you don't you don't have to see the aliens that much. And here the aliens just move so fast and are so sort of herky jerky tentacly that a I think it's great. I think it makes the, the aliens menacing and scary. And b they move so fast that the audience doesn't have time to stare at your CG and decide whether you did a good job or a bad job. The animation is so incredibly fast. A it feels alien, right? And b you can get away with a lot of you know like it doesn't have to look like in a freeze frame it may look oh that looks not great but it doesn't it's it's so fast right so i i think it is an incredibly smart use of money for what i think are very interesting looking aliens that feel alien and also feel menacing mm-hmm. yeah i feel like it in a lot of ways the aliens themselves aren't the point of this movie so spending more time and money on making them you know anything other than what they were would have would have been pointless and actually yeah. the budget for this was 178 million and and i agree with john yeah they are they are fast and they definitely feel alien they don't feel like anything else that you know I have regularly seen on Earth. Um, but I didn't. I, I honestly didn't give them all that much thought because I was so focused on the the plot and the main characters and what they were doing. And uh, they were just sort of the 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 mimics are a thing to get past mm-hmm. to get to the end of this game, which is is kind of the way the characters were seeing them and some of the other characters by the end of it, as we talked yeah. about. And they do the sci-fi movie trope, which is usually smart, which is to make the aliens have a collective intelligence because mm-hmm. like there's two ways you can go. This one sci-fi trope is to have an alien, an alien invasion, and then you sort of personify or make characters out of a few specific aliens, right? So like they're, whether it's one big bad that's chasing you or like the rogue alien or like spike the gremlin with the mohawk like whatever like you pick one or two and you designated them as characters but the other one is the aliens are a collective and so you get to have many things on the screen but uh for the purposes of the movie you conceptualize them as a single antagonist and that's basically what they do in this movie despite the fact that there are the alphas the henchmen and the omega essentially we're thinking of the aliens as a collective mind they're all connected to each other tom cruise is connected to them all we care about in like in so many of these movies the trope you got to get to the mothership you got to get to the mother alien the mother brain and then they all shut down which makes sense in the context of how these aliens work with looping and they have the sort of hierarchy of the whatever the little normal red ones are and then you got the alphas then you got the omega everything works out like it is very it is very paint by the numbers uh but it's the right choices for this movie because i wouldn't have liked a you know one alpha with a with an earring and a mohawk named spike is he's always <laughs> chasing down tom cruise during his it like we don't need that i don't care about the character of the alien but i do care about the sort of malevolent collective mind of the omega and this this race of aliens that operates in this way it makes them even though they're basically like faceless you know we're horde of aliens they seem smart and good at what they do and are not just like grizzly bears like alien grizzly bears you know what i mean they're they are a match for the humans they have a plan 
They um, do. They have a plan, and it, it, it would have worked plan. well if it wasn't for those meddling kids, no. right? If I have a criticism of the aliens in this movie, it's that I have a hard time seeing the distinction between, well, like, Tom Cruise gets bit by a special blue alien, and he has the special blood that makes him do this thing, and then he goes to the dam which I really like that. I like the helicopter going through the mountains and in Germany and there's snow everywhere and there's, or Switzerland or wherever it is, but like, and, and there's the, the dam up there and it looks so great and he goes in there and then he basically, there's this revelation plot twist, which is, oh, the, the Omega's not here. They they have fed me bad information and they're going to try to to not kill me and, you know, ruin my ability to do this. And the problem I have with that is, I, I can't read these aliens well enough to have that moment that the movie wants me to have where I'm seeing the the revelation of it. And maybe this is a failing on my part visually, but like that's my complaint about it is that it's just a whole bunch of blobby aliens and it, one of them, one kind's supposed to be different and I can't tell the difference. You can't tell. Oh. That, maybe it's the colorblindness thing because they're color-coded. They're, yeah, they're color-coded and they're much bigger and the uh, the alphas have a face. Yeah. Like a great big open mouth, like always roaring face. Okay. Um, but the moment, the moment that 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 I bought into to their their plan was that like you could see that Tom Cruise is like he reaches for his gun he tries to shoot himself in the head and, and the alpha knock knocks the hand. gun yeah. out of his hand yes and then you know you get a nice close up of all the blood on the floor so I was like ah that's what they're doing yeah um, I was even a little just, bit ahead of that as soon as as soon as the, the my original watch through as soon as I saw that they weren't there I'm like oh they're gonna bleed him out and so they do poke mm-hmm. him before even they knock the gun out they do poke him and get him bleeding and then he goes for the gun and then they knock it out I thought like they're not they again they don't personify them and there is no really emoting or anything of the aliens they're very sort of faceless but like you under i think they do a good job of making sure the audience understands that these aren't again they're not just big grizzly bears like they they did this on purpose they have a plan and that plan is to let him bleed out they need to get the blood out of him they need to not kill him and not let him kill himself and that's the mission they're trying to execute on him there um which they, you know, like I said, I think they do it two or three times to make sure the audience understands. But they don't convey that by having you look into the eyes of the alpha because there's really nothing there. It's just a big screaming maw. Yeah, it's just I, I both times I've seen this movie, I've had trouble um, scanning that for whatever reason. It's just a hard thing for me to see. So, um, and speaking mm-hmm. of the effects, I'm I haven't watched anything about the background of this movie, but I'm pretty sure most of the what they call the jackets, the little mech suits, are practical foam rubber like painted Mm -hmm. things like they didn't cg those suits as they surely would today i mean they probably cg'd them to make them look a little bit smoother but no they were they were actual um they were actual things that they that they wore both uh tom cruise and emily blunt wore the suits and they were there were different ones but apparently the they weighed about 85 pounds on average and um and yeah, like they were hung on chains, like the actors were strung up mm. on chains to take the weight of the suits off of them in between takes. Uh, so yeah, it was that was heavy duty stuff. Yeah, that's why they show them. They show them walking in the suits. And again, they're probably made of foam rubber, but there's still a lot of mass there. So when they showed them walking in the suits and they're walking awkwardly, I think that's the best that you could walk. And <laughs> like it's yeah. very, it's not actually a powered suit. It's foam rubber that you have to carry yourself and sort of sling along and i don't know how much of like maybe those were also on wires and they were erasing things and it's there's many sort of visual effects things that you can do but i think today the choice would probably be to just full cg those suits but i guess that was probably Mm -hmm. not an option back then or not as believable an option it gives this movie a little bit of a sort of you know 
James Cameron aliens vibe of like, aside from all the obvious CG, there's a little bit of that dorky practical like i can kind of tell that's made of foam rubber but i i kind of love it because i'm a child of the 80s and it used to be everything was made of foam rubber models and models <laughs> and we loved it and so it, it gives you a little bit of that old that old school vibe speaking of the suits that was one little thing about the movie that i like that they never really hung a lantern on was the fact that like at the beginning you hear about the angel of verdun and you hear that uh you know they're showing the suit in like a commercial for the suit and saying like it's so amazing it'll turn you into into a, an what amazing was it? L- the minimum training with minimum yeah, training, she, low skilled people or whatever. It's because she killed a hundred mimics on her first day of combat, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. then later in the movie, like you realize, oh, it, it wasn't yeah. technically her first day. It just looked like it. Yeah. That, that, speaking of, we skipped over that at the beginning. This is one of the, the many movies from this era, sci-fi movies that opens with uh, uh, static uh, interrupted shots of television screens of right. like news networks. So, mm-hmm. you know, here's dash cam footage from Russian dash cam showing a real meteor. So we can save money on that. We can use a bunch of CNN footage. Then we can stick our actors in here and there and like cutting between them with a, with a static noise, which it's, we were still at the point, I guess that's still a movie thing. Like kids don't have any experience of static cause they're not watching like broadcast analog television, but it's True. always the, still the mechanic for switching between things. And you show all that. And usually I kind of roll my eyes at that unless it has a very interesting premise. I can't be engaged. But the thing that I enjoy again, in repeated viewings of this movie is that sequence of news footage flashes seems to try very hard not to over explain like i i don't want right. the movie to spoon feed me it has it is actual disjointed snippets that you can piece together into a coherent, coherent narrative but it is not concerned at all nor should it be with making sure that everybody who just sat down with their popcorn is following along with all these plot points it's not important for you to follow along if you want to you can piece it together especially on second viewings and it all makes sense but you don't have to so i don't feel like i was just listening to the uh the Spider-Man episode, I'm a little bit behind on the incomparable. I don't feel like it's like that type of voiceover. It's like, all right, movie, we get it. Like, it doesn't <laughs> do that at all. It is, it, it is, it's like flavor text. And I really, I really appreciate it not insulting my intelligence with the intro. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, how the Incredible Hulk, we get the entire origin story in the opening credits mm. and we don't need to see it again. I, I, I enjoyed that in this, that we just like all the backstory. It's very short. Uh, you get it if you're paying attention. If and you're you don't not, need it. It's fine. Yeah. If, if, you, if you're not, it's fine. Yep. I like it. I had one note uh, about the suits that I wanted to mention, which is um, that it lets you be the suits are complicated. And of course, Tom Cruise is put in one having no um, having no knowledge of even how they work. And they know this and he doesn't even know how to turn the safety off. And in the first iteration, he sets it to the wrong language, which made me laugh because who among us hasn't accidentally set an electronic device to the wrong language and been like, but how do I get back to set it to the right uh, language and all of that? Here's your problem. You set it to evil. Twice a day I have my keyboard on the wrong language. Ugh. What is interesting about this is that it ends up being a great way for the movie to show us Tom's progression. I keep calling him Tom Cruise, too. He's got a character name. Who cares? Cage. Cage. Cage, yeah. sure. Which is a little a little on the nose, but okay. Yeah, Major William Cage, but it's Tom Cruise. Anyway, he the more he gets to know the suit, the more times he learns, the more times he iterates, the more features of the suit he uses, right? So we learn mm-hmm. as we go, like all of a sudden he is without any thought at all able to like pop up the rocket launchers out of the back mm-hmm. and fire those off and all that. And I think it's a really effective way to show that. Yeah, especially when he decides that he's actually gonna do it himself. And that I thought I thought was a good another fun moment where 
he spends a lot of time logically like let's have the super duper master warrior full metal bitch do the fighting and you as the looper just clue her in okay there's gonna be someone on your left there's gonna be someone on your life but you can't backseat drive like that it's it's frustrating for her because she only gets the one iteration and it's frustrating for him because he knows where everything is but he can't actually do it and so eventually i do like that turn where he's like stop trying to backseat drive uh rita through this battle right just you have infinite lives get good <laughs> and that's what he does instead he he, he tries to, he, he figures it out himself he has her train him obviously uh, but he accumulates knowledge and she is training each time she trains him she's training a slightly better version of him just over and over and over again right and she gets to shoot him in the head when she's done which is great those scenes also um made me write a, a note down in my notes as i was watching it which was just like well now we know what it would have been like if tom cruise was iron man <laughs> I have a moment where I was like, you know, uh, I'm getting a little bit of that. It was just, there's just a, there is a moment where yeah, I was like, oh yeah, right here. This is Tom Cruise's Iron Man right here. But then it passes just, yeah. to, just for a moment. It's brief. <laughs> just for a moment. He's too big to be in a Marvel movie now. Yeah. He's that big. He's got his own impossible well, missions. As, as he gets older, once he starts like really giving into the gray hair and, and I don't talk about collateral. Once he really starts kind of going into the gray hair and becomes an old man. If Marvel, if MCU is still rolling, he could come in as a big bad in a final Marvel uh, movie iteration. I can see it. Uh, all those teeth. <laughs> the last part of this movie. So, for, you know, the, the damn reveal is that the, there are, you know, this is a twist. They've been sending him bad information. Um, am I the only one who felt the damn, the damn is a video game level. Like, it feels like, I, I think <laughs> it's, I, from, it's from, it's from Goldeneye. I, yeah. I was going to say it's like from, Mar- from the movie Goldeneye. From Marathon, but it, it feels like, it, it feels like I've played that level, the damn level of mm-hmm. when he's going through all the different tunnels and all of that. But then, um, it end up in the last act here, which is the, they go to Whitehall, where the general is. Once again, we see that he's this is the one where they're making all the steps at the right times and walking unnaturally because he's timed it out which means that every time that failed he had to go back and do it all again to get to that point which i keep thinking of and thinking oh my god yeah, uh, and and the final mm-hmm. boss is talking is talking the final boss is just talking it's, to this guy yep. it's the best final boss and it's a very it's very clear that the general who has who has literally within hours <laughs> sent him to go to the front lines and yet he's back here has rejected his everything he's tried all sorts of different things and, <laughs> it, and, it, has, and it hasn't worked uh and and in the iteration we see tom cruise is really fatalistic about it like this is totally not going to work and only blonde wants to shoot him not just shoot him like don't no, wait wait just <laughs> yeah we did that it didn't work um but it, he doesn't do it yeah don't shoot him again is I think the line, which is, which is great. Um, and this time it works, but I, I really like that, that it's a surprise. It's like, he is genuinely cage is genuinely surprised that it yeah, worked. Other, uh, and then they, they still that like that it worked, it quote unquote works, but the guards are waiting okay. for them outside. Yeah. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. like it, it, you know, we, this isn't the final iteration. I think they'd go have to go through it again because they, you know, they're like, it actually worked, but really, in this particular iteration, what you ha- what you did figure out is, how do I talk to this guy to get him to open the safe to give me the thing? But you haven't actually convinced him, because all he's going to do is he's calculated, take the thing, leave the building, I'll help my guards get you when you get out. Yeah, And that's exactly what happens in that iteration. And then from that point on, presumably they know how to pass that thing. But it reminded me of text adventures, because very often there's some 
foe in a text adventure who no matter how you have a conversation with them they always like ended up like throwing you in prison or whatever it is that they're supposed to be doing and usually it's something dumb where you like present them with a bunny route and they love bunnies and they let you go or something but in this one it's just like through sheer force of iteration and exasperation you found a combination that doesn't let you convince the general but does let you get the thing out of the safe and proceed to the next step where now you've got to figure out how to get out of the parking garage and all this other stuff and that's where my 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 other problem is, and that is when okay, so he 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 with with her help jams the uh, the thing into his leg and has the visions and recognizes that it's in Paris. I don't understand why they don't just reset right then and there. He's got the information. Let's start yeah. over. Like yeah, they, they they made a mistake. That like you're watching the movie a few times, you realize she should have shot him in the head immediately, yeah. but she didn't, yeah. and probably because I mean in in all the. For it's not all the previous iterations because for her this is the first iteration always True. so she doesn't have the experience to know uh kill immediately because there's a risk that you might bleed out or something tom cruise knows that but he's in the midst of driving the car and trying to escape and like i i forgive them for making that mistake because it is difficult to make sure that you yeah. die conclusively and don't just bleed out a lot and then get rescued in a hospital like especially when you're in a chase scenario like you're not ready to give up on that iteration yet because it looks like you might make it but then the car flips and you know like it, it's a mistake, but I think it's a, it is a realistic mistake. Even though we, as the viewer who have seen the movie multiple times, know that this was the mistake they made. Them, in the iteration, were merely trying to make this iteration either the one that counts or make it farther this time. It's, it's, you know, it happens in video games. You have to decide, should I just kill myself and you know try again because I know I've lost too much health or used too much ammo, and I, I'll do it when I'm playing games, and I'll say... I don't want to start over. I yep. might be able to make it. And then you go a little bit farther and yeah. it's like, no, I turned out I died anyway. Yeah. So in this case, though, this is the um, the rules that seemed extraneous at the time, but now were put into effect, which is he wakes up in um, in a hospital or whatever or or, or military med medical med bay ward. yeah and he and there's a and there's blood hanging on a bag and he's like oh no i've done the thing that happened to her which means that i am at, that i've had a blood transfusion and that means that i'm i am no longer immortally iterating on this one day and rather than doing a little dance and having a good time like bill murray um instead <laughs> they have to put their uh their plan into place where... Well, well, even before that, like the, the consequences of him not looping, A, is like, I'm, I'm out, as he called it. But B, his immediate question is, uh, is Rita still alive? Right. Because he can't bring her back to life by reiterating it. So yeah. he asked that. And we and don't that, know because, because she but, was yeah, in, the, the, in the car accident the, with him. The nurse says, I'm sorry. Yeah. Which she's saying, I'm sorry, not that she's died, but I'm sorry, I can't tell you anything. Because her previous line was like, I'm not allowed to talk to you or whatever. I can't tell you anything. So yep. I, I thought that would work really well. Yep. Because by that yeah. point, they had established a relationship enough that I cared that he cared about Rita. Because... Like he's he's been they showed a lot of iterations of her dying and him seeing her die. They, you know, they didn't lean out too heavily, but it's there. And then as soon as he knows he can't loop his main concern. And, and I think our main concern as the audience is what about Rita? Uh, luckily, she's alive and she is. took her three took her three minutes to get out of those handcuffs. What's your problem? Mm hmm. It's because he's very bad. at it. He, he doesn't have to know that one. Yeah. Uh, but this gives us this gives us very cleverly our final stakes in the movie which is now he can die and he won't re uh you know regenerate reiterate and this is this means they've got this one chance to find now that they know where the omega is to go in, go to paris but of course it's the night before the invasion 
and we know what happens in the invasion and they are destroyed and London is taken over and everything is awful. So they have a ticking clock. They have limited resources, and if and if he dies, he doesn't get to come back. Yeah. And, so this is my yeah. this is my one main complaint about the movie. Now it's not a big one, but it it is one that's there. So the the movie had spent a long time, in fact, his entire running time up to that point, establishing exactly how much you will die in this yep. video game. Like it is it is is a Dark Souls game. You will you will die. There is no on your first try in anything you are never going to do. It. Even the easy level when you're still on the base, you're never going to roll under the truck on the first try, right? And I understand that in the third act of course like you said they have to raise the stakes, give a ticking clock, this is your last chance. Oh no, previously had all those lives. The Rita moment I think works is she's still alive, right? But then to say and you're going to have to do your last mission on your first try, the immediate reaction is to feel like, look, movie, you've just trained me to know mm-hmm. that it is impossible to do anything remotely complicated on the first try, so everybody should die. And I feel like the movie handles that well by essentially having everybody die. So, like, <laughs> yeah. it's it's unrealistic in that he does get to the end of that level. Like, you would ne- like the movie has taught us, you'll never get to the end of the level. You, will, you wouldn't even survive the plane crash in the first iteration. Right. But it plays a little bit fair into saying, of course they're not going to to like they're all gonna die like it's they don't have any lives and this is their first try and so they do indeed all die so i give the movie credit because you know it's a movie like you have to it's the type of movie where probably the good guys are gonna win at the end it could have had a you know sort of end of the world type ending but it just didn't seem like that kind of movie so i give it a pass and i think it found a clever way to sidestep that but i think it undercuts a little bit of the the drama and sort of the realism like like a lot of action hero movies you're like at a certain point you might you know be unable to suspend your disbelief about exactly how good you know ethan hunt let's say is at (laughs) improvising some amazing stunt or action in a situation he's never been in before and a like action movies that tend to grip me more are like more sort of gritty and realistic where the maybe the action isn't as dramatic but it reads as real. That's why we like like Indiana Jones movies and stuff like that, which are ridiculous, but our hero gets hurt, so we feel like it's grounded in some kind of reality. Like they're not just an invincible superhero that they could they can and will screw up because it's not like they had a chance to practice this, right? So that that moment, I I felt it the first time I watched it, and I still fear it every time. That like it is a it's a bit of a letdown to know that they're going to, oh, they're going to give him the one life. And you know he's going to do a pretty good job yeah, with that one life. Because your and that in, does initial thought is, oh, dude, you can't do this on one life. You, you. Yeah, no, <laughs> nobody can. It's ridiculous. Yep. But it, at least he's had, you know, up to th- maybe hundreds or thousands of years of training to go into being like the, the most expert uh, yeah. thing that he can be. Because remember, the, the previous act to this is the, you know, walking carefully through Whitehall. And that's, <laughs> you know, that that's a totally different skill set than what was being built up at the very beginning of the movie, which is, you know, acumen at fighting and being able to, you know, anticipate where these these things are going to go, how they fight, that sort of thing. So, you know, at least he's had these hundreds and hundreds of, of hours or days or years of of training in, in military action. And then we sort of forget about that for a little while because we're a little more focused on like a car chase and stuff like that. So I, I, I feel I felt the, the same kind of letdown, though, because I, I do feel like it's it's cheating a little bit to to try to get us to believe that they're going to reach their goal in in one shot, but they've given them the best tools that they could possibly have in yeah, order to and, do it. And Rita also has hundreds of iterations on her loop, so yep. it is it is realistic that yeah, the the peons, the lesser people, die immediately because of course they die immediately, mm-hmm. and the two people left are the people who have 
tens or hundreds of years of combat experience and they also die too because of course they're going to die it's their first try but it you know it 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 just crosses the line of sort of of uh i I think it achieves a sense of fair play i just think it undercuts it because if you think if they didn't do that and like i understand the dramatic moment but but if they still had the ability to loop it would still be a dramatic showdown like they could have done more iterations of the I know that you know that I know and whatever. Sure. Like it would have been fine. They didn't have to raise the stakes that much. The stakes were high enough as it was. I, I would I say think. the note that I would give at this point in the movie would be um like they they wanted to have a different setting. So it's in the Louvre and so they have to go to Paris and all that. And I think to myself, wouldn't it be better if this was at least started doing, you know, doing the beach? And maybe they go somewhere from the beach. And like, I, I kind of wanted to see it where it's like, finally, you can use your knowledge of the past iterations in this one iteration. And then you get to the, the dramatic moment where Tom Cruise says, I haven't done this part before. It's like, oh, oh, no. Yeah. Right. But instead, it's sort of like we're going to have this totally insane mission where one plane is going to or helicopter or whatever is going to fly across the English Channel into enemy territory and land in the middle of Paris and it, where they know the, that it's the most important thing that they have is located and they know we're coming and uh, it's going to be fine. It's like, mm, maybe maybe pushing it mm. a little a little too far. Um, also, Erica, I wanted to ask you, because I know how much you don't like the, you know, the loud, noisy explosion scenes. Um, mm-hmm. This was also a disappointment of mine is that unlike the other action in this movie, the stuff before they get into the Louvre where there's just stuff blowing up and they have to point the the propellers of the jump ship so that they can slide along mm-hmm. and all of that. I was kind of bored by it. It was it was just sort mm-hmm. of like, well, we need to have some action here at the at the at the climax. And I, I was wondering how you how you felt about it, because I, I even felt a little bit bored by this action. I I liked the bit where the two characters sacrifice themselves in order to buy a little bit of time. Uh, But yeah, overall, like even from the time when they're they're first flying in and they're just they're being shot at and they're shooting back. I'm like, okay, just just land, just land. Uh And then, yes, when they're sliding across, like going really fast, it it just felt I was like, am I watching Quantum of Solace? Because it was just like a very (laughs) long chase. Yeah, I, I felt like that that whole section, yeah, it, uh, what the movie wanted to have were character moments for J-Squad. They had that whole, like, we're going to convince J-Squad or whatever, and I don't think they had the time left nope. in the movie to do that. I know they wanted to have it and make J-Squad more important. but And nor did they give us the, t- give us the time at the beginning to really learn to, to appreciate yeah. them as people either. Yeah, so like so they and they they end up that sequence is broken up into the dramatic landing. Then there's a there's a, a slower section where they're regrouping and pushing cars out of the way and yeah, deciding who fine. can decide who can and can't walk. And then they go for the final push. You could compress that whole thing. You're going to sacrifice the the ability to feel for J Squad or whatever. You could have just had everybody going on the final mission. I think they all should have died faster. All the peons died faster. The ones who haven't been through hundreds of battles, right? Mm-hmm. Leaving, you know, you get it in the same basic, basic plot, but I, I just felt like it was sort of luxuriating in its time to show us all about J Squad and how they're all contributing to this victory. And it's like, you don't have time for this. And so, if they had gotten it over and done with faster, not broken up into two sequences the landing and then the sliding. Mm-hmm. You would have got to the ending faster. Yeah, just land closer to the Louvre. It feels <laughs> to me like <laughs> Studio Note kind of stuff, where it's like you got to have the big 
action set piece at the end like every other yeah, action movie it seems like they ran out of money though because that one was at night and clearly yeah. like it was it's hard mm-hmm. to tell what was going on and you could mm-hmm. hide a lot more and it was a pale shadow of the beach battle scenes yeah. for sure whereas once they're inside and then you really do get the moments that are the moments that i want especially when it's they, they it's engineered so like uh, we're being hunted and you need to go get the thing and so i'm gonna buy you time it's like no no i'm gonna buy you time kind of, yeah exactly and, and, <laughs> but it's a good moment because it doesn't have like you said john it doesn't have the illusion that they're gonna get out of it it's like we're both yeah, gonna die what, here I think it was just, rita says yeah like because tom cruise is trying to, they're both trying to do the uh, i'm gonna save you because you're the weaker one rita thinks obviously tom cruise is the weaker one because she's the angel of the and gun he's and been tom injured. thinks she's yeah, right. And Tom thinks she is because he's been through more iterations than her by this point, probably. And she's the one I think who says, "Look, neither one of us. Why are we? What are we arguing about? Neither one of us is going to have this alive. Let's figure out how best to accomplish the goal of the mission. Right. And if the, I, I have to be the rabbit, so because I have two good legs, I'm going to run and die, and you're going to go to the Omega and also die. Right. And that's mm-hmm. their plan, and that's that's what they do, which I, I think is, is just perfect. Now, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the bit that is slightly controversial there is during that conversation when they say, okay, we're going to go off to do our things, uh, Rita plants a kiss on Tom Cruise. And apparently that was not in the script, which you would think oh. is like, oh, of course, the hero's got to get the kiss. You know, they're gonna, the, the romantic leads are going to kiss and then go off. Not even in the script. It was an actor's choice to do it. And now that I know that, I've looked at it with fresh eyes, and I'm like, it's not... It's not a super romantic kiss because, again, not in the script. They're not zooming in on it and showing you the kiss cam. You know, the kiss cam, but goes like yeah. down low and up and shows the lips and the twisty faces or whatever. They, there is no kiss cam. And it's not, it is a kiss. Uh, like, there's a little bit of a romantic angle, but part of it is a little bit like they're soldiers look, and they're about to die. And, yeah, and, and I wish, have and I, wish I could have gotten yeah. to know you better. Maybe there's something there or mm-hmm. not, but it really is sort of like here we go yeah and she said she just said emily blunt said it just felt like the thing her character would do in that moment mm-hmm. so she did it and that's the t- the take they took and it makes me feel a lot better about that because and it makes me feel good that it wasn't in the script and they didn't play it up like oh we're both gonna die but we know we are each other's true love they don't know nope. they don't know such mm-hmm. thing they're trying to get a job done and they're very close and have have lived through a lot and we understand like the time traveler's daughter or whatever like the sort of parallel experiences but they're not in sync and everything and all it's I, that all works for me and mm-hmm. I like the fact that they didn't get all kissy face at the end. Yeah, I, I actually I liked that because she has been on the other side of this. And there was somebody that she loved that she watched die a bunch of times who, you know, we don't know how well he knew her. But uh, but she definitely she's not stupid. And I think it's got after spending all of this time with him, it has to be pretty obvious to her that he has been doing this again and again with her and has developed feelings for her over this amount of time. So, you know, that's just I feel like I, that's a totally a human thing to do to to be like, you know, I wish I could have gotten to know you better. The the implication unsaid on the other side of that, you already know me way more way more well than I know you. So it's too bad we didn't get a chance to to even that out. So yeah, I'm gonna give you a smooch before I run off and die. Yeah. Yeah. And the and so she goes off and runs off and dies and there's a little bit of hiding uh while buying time for Tom Cruise to go and he's sort of limping crawling towards the Omega, which is down in a pool of water, which I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is a little bit there's two movies this reminds me of. Well, first of all, having grown up by the water, and I have this visceral reaction to a lot of uh, water-related dramatic moments in movies. Um, and uh, so he's got to go down in the pool where the Omega is. Uh, he's being pursued by the Alpha, which has just killed Emily Blunt, and now is coming after him. She bought him time, but it's, he's, it's hot on his tail. Right. 
and he's diving down in the water. We've already established previously they both know they're going to die. Our, one of our heroes has already died. He is diving down into a pool of water that he knows he's not going to come back up from. Not only because he's going to blow the thing up, but he's diving the way that you don't dive in water because you know... Uh, you can't get you back, have up to go back to up, get air. You have to get back up yeah. to the surface. So if you, if you keep swimming until it's you can't one, hold your breath one anymore... one-way trip, not a round yeah, trip. It, that, uh, the abyss, there you go. I knew this would, would be a one-way uh -huh. ticket, right? And the yep. other th the, the two other things I'm thinking of is uh, one... Uh, uh, I don't want to... It's mild spoilers for Gattaca. Sorry, everybody. Um, fast forward 30 seconds. When they're having the swimming contest, like, how did you always win? He never saved anything for the trip back, right? And the other one, surprisingly, mild spoilers for Moana, is that scene in Moana where she dives down into the water where I had that visceral inhale of, like, you can't dive down to get something that deep because you won't have enough breath to come back up. And it's, a, you know, I know I love that moment in the movie. Anyway, um, he's diving down to his death, swimming as hard as he can, not saving anything for the trip back up because he knows this is going to be his end. And I think that was, uh, I, and I like the sort of blue light and the alien rushing to get him from behind. Welcome back to everybody who pressed the 30 second skip button, by the way. Yeah. And then the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the dramatic grenade thing with the pins, which is also a movie trope, but yeah. I think they do it well, well here. I like the logic of it that he's got the grenades and all that and he's above the Omega and it's like, you know, he doesn't need to throw them or anything. <laughs> like yeah, they're no, going gravity. to drop on just, the monster. He's got to get all his pins. Yeah, yeah, and we see that that he's he's been stabbed through the through the chest, and he's you know he's he's just bleeding out. He's the, it's at the end, and but all the pins are there, and the 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 grenades are dropping down, and it's a it's a good heroic moment. It's tense. I like that it's chasing him, and it's obviously way faster than him. But it's he's got his head, got start, head start because of yeah. her sacrifice, yep. and that's all great. It's it, it's actually quite a contrast to the stuff up on the surface that I think are it's kind of boring um, because this is the stuff. This is like the payoff of the yep. movie right here which is we're going to do this we're going to make this happen and honestly as a viewer i have no expectations of anything other than that they're not going to make it this time like mm -hmm. yep. they, we, the movie's playing fair with us and they're like no this is it he he lost the bloody whatever and this is it um which is why now i have to come and ask both of you does the movie play fair in the fact that after the explosion, we cut to the first shot of the movie of Tom Cruise on the helicopter going to London. The aliens have uh, have gone, and he's uh, he's on his own and goes and finds her when she's you know in her little training area where she always is. And she says, "What do you want?" And that's the end. Is it a uh, does it play fair to uh, yes. to to do that and have them come all come back to life at the end? I say it does because because we've spent the entire movie establishing that humans are capable of resetting time. And, you know, he had been doused with the blood of an alpha, which is, you know, one of the, the, the leaders of the army, but not like the big the big thing. The, the nucleus, the omega, uh, his, he was doused with all of that blood before he died because we saw he's, you know, he's bleeding out. He's got a hole in his chest, but he's just sort of sinking and smiling and being like, ha ha, I'm dropped all the grenade pins and uh and yeah so he gets doused in this blood which is the blood of the omega and so maybe it's a little bit of headcanon to say that the uh the omega is actually better at manipulating time than you know an alpha would be but uh but yeah he's able to to do it back just skips back a little bit farther maybe this is a side effect of the time loop thing for them is that if they're if their omega dies everything resets to the previous iteration or something i can headcanon it a lot i just there is that moment where mm -hmm. i think this movie could have chosen 
to kill everyone. And it goes, yep. nah, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, which which, which was smart, by the way, financially speaking, because they are going to do a sequel. But uh-huh. no, I think it totally plays fair because uh, they, they, you know, again, the, the, the rules of the mechanics of you get the blood in you, you can do the thing are true. And I think also the, the message of the movie is practice makes perfect. I don't even need it to be special Omega blood. I'm just saying that Tom Cruise has been resetting time so many times. Yeah that maybe he's just better at it and in that moment when he's dying he knows Rita has just died and he has sacrificed himself I like the idea that he uses I mean he's and he's literally dying like how more emotional can you be it's your own death and the death of this woman you fell in love with and then you get this power you see it in his face the realization that wait I have the power again because the blood is because he's experienced it before and all that combines to say I, with my last dying quote-unquote breath as i'm underwater i'm gonna reset harder than i've ever reset before and i want to get back to a point where you know where before on your feet maggot and make sure she's safe and back to life and he you know and it's not like a a, a premeditated thing it's just like a one final burst in dying breath i've got the power i'm dying i have these emotions reset real hard and you're back to there so i i, I totally buy it yeah. I agree. I, I like at this point, I'm OK with the movie being like, no, you know what? I want a happy ending for these people. And they put in the work and there's enough in here in terms of the iterations and the aliens and the blood and all of those things that that to say, well, it turns out that you defeated the the monster and what you get is one more reset. And and that and you're like, well, what happens then? Does it reset everything? And it's like, no, he, he lands and there's a did you hear what happened is that they're all gone. They basically, they're, mm-hmm. all resistance is gone. And he's thinking, well, I know why that is. It's because I... I, I, I saved the world I, I blew and no them one up. knows it. And apparently that goes back in time. And again, I think this has got to be part of it. It's like the logic there has to be that his defeat obviously carried backward in time and, and and the reset so like yeah i can headcanon a lot i'm glad they don't get into the mechanics of it Just suffice it to say the omega angered its girlfriend and she had a gypsy curse put on her <laughs> <laughs> and anyway uh and that's that's it and uh this is a great movie you know this is legitimately like i i, I erica you know i think i like iterative movies too i really like how they get the right they challenge the writers they let you get more character interaction you think about facets of characters in ways that you don't they they get to explore you know alternate versions of the same scenes like there's so much good stuff in iterative stories like this um it 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 works for me too this is a really good movie like i said before every time i watch this movie over again i i I see the flaws less and i see the good things more and like it's just becoming such a little it's it's not it's not quirky enough to be like a cult classic right and it is not sort of original and defining enough to be like a blade runner but it's a it's just a darn good sci-fi movie like uh, i think we said about a couple of recent episodes i've been on i would love for there to be one new movie like this every single year like i i am not full up on sci-fi movies like i'm excited in a year we get an arrival or an interstellar and and i feel like those movies in many ways are more uneven than uh than this movie like maybe higher highs but also lower lows this is just a darn good straightforward straight up good sci-fi movie straight up straightforward but very twisty yeah yeah Erica, agreed? Thumbs up? Yeah, total, total thumbs up. I, uh-huh. I really very much like Edge of Tomorrow. And to me, it will always be called Edge of, Edge of Tomorrow. Tomorrow, which I go. would like to point out, it says Edge of Tomorrow at both the beginning and the end of the end credits. For sure. It says it twice. There's it makes nowhere perfect in the sense. Actual... It's a loop. 
Yep. <laughs> That's true. But there's nowhere in the movie itself that says live, die, repeat. No. So I completely agree with what John said at the outset of the podcast that that is that's a that's a dumb spoiler. Just like Stephen, my spouse, uh, somebody loaned him the third man to watch for the first time. And it was completely ruined for him because Orson Welles is right big smack dab on the cover. And uh, and so he spent the entire movie with no suspense whatsoever because he knew Orson Welles was going to come back. I feel like that's what that's the the equivalent of naming this film lived i repeat is like you just you ruin the surprise yeah so when you were watching with him did you lean over at one point and say that's edge of tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> they had they're not at the edge yet almost spoilers for 1949's the third man by the way retry that loop and fast forward 30 yeah. seconds you'll be fine yeah. <laughs> all right then i think we're gonna wrap this one up this has been great uh i'm sure we'll enjoy this less every time we do this episode again in the future but this time through, it was all surprises. I think we nailed it. I don't think we need to repeat this one. I think we did it. I'd like to thank my panelists for being here. Erica Ensign, thank you for uh, doing this first iteration. Jason, find me when you wake up. <laughs> and Okay, will do. And John Syracuse, thank you. Well, Jason, I think we should just reset. <laughs> oh, no. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable and this episode of The Incomparable and this anyway uh, we will see you <laughs> next week or right now but probably next week welcome back everybody to the incomparable i am your host jason snell and on this episode we're going to be talking about a film this is almost like a little mini series of uh maybe not entirely appropriately appreciated science fiction films of this century uh what i'm saying is that uh, this is a movie that we like and uh, you may